welcome to episode seven. Boy, did we have a crazy week last week. And if you think there's nothing special about today, January 12th, you are wrong. On this day, I'm going to play a little game called On This Day. I'm going to play it with my two lit crew. On this day, I'm going to list a lot of things and y'all tell me what sticks out to you, okay? So I'll say them all. And then at the end, I'm going to ask you guys what stuck out to you. So on this day in 1964, the NFL champs, Cleveland Rams were given permission to move to LA. On this day in 1952, the University of Tennessee admitted its first black student. On this day in 1958, the NCAA added the two point conversion to football scoring. On this day in 1971, All in the Family premiered on CBS featuring the first toilet flush on TV history. On this day in 1990, civil rights activist Reverend Al Sharpton was stabbed in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. On this day in 1995, the murder trial against O.J. Simpson began in L.A. On this day in 2017, President Barack Obama, shouts to my president, had a surprise presentation and awarded his vice president at the time, Joe Biden, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. This was not just a regular, I'm telling you guys know. See, this is just on this day, January 12th, in 2019, Missy Elliott became the first female rapper inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. On this day, and last but not least, on this day in 2020, the seventh episode of Remotely Renee aired. That's us. Yeah. Okay, my two-lit crew. Let's get it. So let me introduce my two-lit crew. We got me, Madre Snookabooka. I got my sister, Cole, in the building. And I got my VP, which is my manager, Paul. Cole, what stuck out to you on this lovely day of January 12th? Uh, my happening. <laughs> it was a lot happening. A lot of stuff going on. I don't even know where to begin, but... Um, this actually, this is actually wonderful. I didn't see that on this day, I would be on a segment and be on a show with my sister consistently every week. So I can say on this day, the surprise is we still here. We still here, baby. <laughs> still okay, here. I, I like it, Cole Snookabooka. What you got for on this day? What stood out to you? I know you heard that all in the family when I know that's, that's one of your shows. I know that. <laughs> Yes, and I think you're messing with me because I've been living through all of those on this day. <laughs> but um, oh my gosh, the one that stuck out to me was all in the family because I was a big Archie Bunker fan. I know it. And the Jeffersons was a spinoff from the All in the Family, and we yep. every week we were you know front and center at the TV watching those episodes. Oh. And also the uh, O.J. Simpson one stuck out to me because uh, I remember as a youth, uh, whenever, you know, the incident happened with his wife and the, uh, the gentleman, uh, it shut down all the TV channels and all we watched was that blazer, that white blazer and go on and on and on. And you came and asked me, just who is that O.J. Simpson? Because you couldn't watch your cartoons, you couldn't watch your shows hilarious oh i love it snooker book okay so snook said all in the family and oj on this day paulino what's up what stuck out to you on this day um why did why did you know like why did you know that this day had a lot of things or how did you know that 
<laughs> why did like why did you look all that up for this day? Or that was, was this I really don't know. This is crazy. So that's actually a funny question. So as I like, I prepared the show notes like a week in advance, and so I sit in the bed and think like, what do I want to ask my two lit crew to open the show, and what do I want to do? And I'm like, so we've had a theme like because we we opened up basically during holiday season. So my birthday hit. Christmas hit, New Year's hit. And so then we had elections come in January. So we almost had like a lot going on. And I'm like, so this was the first episode where there wasn't really like a crazy landmarker going on. And so in the way my mom works, I'm like, I bet this day was a lit day in history and I don't know. And so I started to just research it and I found out this every day is pretty much a lot going on and January 12th is no different. So yeah, that's how I got to I it. I heard, I heard stabbing and Re- Reverend Jack or who was it? Yeah, that was crazy. Stabbing. Um, and then I heard something about flushing a toilet on live TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So all in the family was like that, that in your face show. And basically like a toilet had never been flushed on TV before. So all in the family, they premiered, on that day, which is this day, and then they flushed the toilet, which is unheard of on TV. So, which and Reverend so Alsh- they even went to that. Like, I wonder whose idea that was. <laughs> like, they were very. I think they all they wanted to push the envelope as far as they could push it. It looked like, yeah. And yep. then Reverend Al Sharpton, nineteen ninety, he was stabbed in Brooklyn, like crazy. That's on this uh- day. So, I also like the one with President Barack Obama when he gave our new incoming president that medal of freedom uh and uh i can remember uh how moving it was to uh president-elect Biden, and it, it just really was a heart got, got you in the feels got all the yeah. feels so we got all the feels that's how we coming on episode seven okay i like that on this day i might keep it up i feel like that was fun if you guys like it i love it um, but now let's let's just move on to there's a lot going on. So I started this episode with there's a lot going on on this day. There was a lot going on in business, too. Paul's going to let you know about it. What's up for remotely scoreboard or no, it's called remote scoreboard, remote scoreboard, Paul. Um, OK, so obviously we all know Florida have been crazy, but now it seems like they maybe they're coming to their senses in the Dolphin Stadium is opening up for COVID testing and the vaccine treatment. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So wait, so the Dolphin Stadium, kind of like how people did the polls where you could come vote, they're opening up their arena that they won't be using for COVID testing and vaccinations? They won't be using it. They're not in the playoffs. Yeah, thanks. That's my team. (laughs) They can make it to the playoffs, so they're not using it at all. It's free. (laughs) It's open and available. (laughs) Yes, and it's probably some blowback from where uh, the news showed all of those elderly people camping outside all night just to try to get in line to get a COVID vaccine shot. Their goal is to distribute a minimum of of 1,000 vaccines per day to 65 and older. Oh, Mm -hmm. that would be amazing. I need to move there. Uh, now, Snookabooker, you're up next, my Snookabooker. You got to be up next. We got to get my Snookabooker the vaccine. Free Snookabooker, Diddy. Uh- I saw um, th- uh, the doctor The doctor you had on just got her second shot today. Oh, yeah. I forget it's a double-dose treatment. Yeah. But speaking of that, I'm glad you even did that. Y'all didn't even know, but I think Snook is covering vaccinations later on in the show. So I like Maybe this. we did. We Snook like talk it. now, so. Are, are y'all like best We're on- we're not on the group chat anymore. We side text. Uh, <laughs> for 
friends. Okay. Oh, my man, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. What else you got for us, Paul? So I know you like uh, esports. So China is constructing an esports facility to become the the esports capital of the world. Uh, $900 million construction and since 6,000 people, 5.4 million square feet. So wait, it's going to be basically an arena for esports is what it's sounding like. Yeah. What? See, I'm going to tell you what. I'm trying to be showing off. I, I just... We're just going to do it bigger than everybody in this. Exactly. Like anytime China can show that we do it big over here, they make us like, first of all, everything's made in China. We know that they know that, but this is like esports is, you know, they're going to, they're going to kill it. Like that's how it's like, you already know they're going to kill it. I want to see, it's probably going to be like the nationals are going to be there now always or something, man, like China's commerce, they always figure out a way to be like advanced and first. So what do y'all think? Always a couple steps ahead. Yeah, It says there's seven, 720 million gamers in China. Wow. I can believe it, but you know, because I don't know if this is the same thing, but I just thought about what is that anime stuff? Like, I don't know why that just popped in my mind when you said that, but I feel yeah. like they have a strong following for that anime. And I think is anime, I, I feel like this is all interrelated in some way. Is that, is there, I don't know. Well, you know, isn't that the Jack Ma guy uh, over there who's been uh, missing for two months now? Is that the same thing? Is that the same thing, Paul? I think that is. Isn't that the guy who they said he was the um, he was a big uh, esports and anime, all that? He's been missing in action. They're actually looking for him, but <laughs> he might be a part of this whole you know thing as as far as getting it set up and where they should be doing and what they shouldn't be doing. So, what I mean, in the Among Us is going on? This is. <laughs> <laughs> What is this? Like, I feel like this is like a case for the Twitter detectives or something. I don't know. I wow. Well, Snook's on Twitter now, so. <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness! I'm glad you. Let's pause real quick. Snookabooka, she just hopped up on Twitter at Snook Montgomery and shut it down. I have people texting me about my Snookabooka. I have men DMing me, telling me to tell Snook hi. She's like a living legend now. <laughs> what is going on? Snook's, what is it called? Well, game is unbelievable. Well, hats off to Paul for introducing me and, and getting me set up and giving me a quick tutorial on what to do. VP. I still feel like a neophyte, though. <laughs> I mean, VP, you outdid yourself. Like, I, I mean, Snook came in with the on point. Just, I was like, oh. Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. She did. She came and in I saw Cole. Look, okay, I'm going to let you know right now. Remotely, Renee is on Twitter. I saw yeah. Cole liking tweets. And then I said, wait a minute. Did she just respond to me? I had to check and make sure it was really my sister. <laughs> sometimes y'all be doing those things where y'all like put the at name. It's almost the at name. And there's like one thing different. It was really my sister. I said, let me find out. But I told Paul this. And I don't even want to say it out loud because I know people like attention I was like oh Paul I really enjoyed when my family was not on social media because I get a lot of death threats I get a lot of like people cussing me out calling me the n-word I get that like all the time every day it's so easy when somebody says that to me because I'm like I don't really care 
good. Like, I don't care what people say to me. Like, so that doesn't bother me none, but it's like, oh no, now my Snook and my sister are on social media and I don't want to have to clap back. Don't worry. I don't well, care. they just better realize they need to bring it. Come correct or don't come at don't all. Come, come for me unless I send for you. But I, my feelings ain't going to be hurt. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Good. So I just had, I told Paul this last night, I was venting to VP like, oh goodness. Um, and then he told me what his mom, he just added his mom two years ago on Facebook or something. So. <laughs> I don't want to oh, interact with my awful. family on social media. Say what? Yeah, I don't want to interact with my family on social media. Oh, I don't <laughs> want the people to bother my family. Um, like they bother me all day and I'm like, okay, thank you. Um, but me, no, I don't want to see that, but What's next, Paul? That was a whole tangent. <laughs> What's next? Is there anything left? Yeah, so the last one, you know, um, LeBron's tweet about buying the Atlanta Dream and uh, several stars came out. Uh, Mookie Betts of the Dodgers, the World Series champ, and Kevin Hart and Carmelo now. A lot of other ones, but those are the, the bigger names. Carmelo entered the chat, so. Carmelo entered Oh, the man, LeBron James tweet. So we're celebrating today, and on this day, in January 12th, I'm celebrating a clean sweep. I'm talking the presidential election, Joe Biden. I'm talking one Senate race, Raphael Warnock. The second Senate race, John Ossoff. It's a celebration. So in celebration fashion, LeBron James hops on Twitter. That's what we do when you're happy. You go tweet about it. He actually tweeted that, yo, somebody needs to buy the Atlanta Dream I'm, I need to put together an ownership group, something of that nature. That's kind of what the tweet said. So, you know me. I said, yo, Braun, and I mean this, I'm ready when you are. Then I found out that there's other people that I was already like, all right, bet Kevin Hart, Carmelo Anthony. Uh, who was it? Uh, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. Mookie. So, what is Mookie. it? Mookie. Oh, okay. Sorry, Mookie. Mookie Betts. I'm just saying. Listen, Atlanta Dream, I'm just saying you can do better. <laughs> like, tell me, have you heard that lately? <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. So, I mean, because this is what I, and you know, I talked about this on 11 Alive. I talked about this on BBC, CNN. Imagine what name recognition, what sponsorship, what would happen if people started to invest in women's sports, the WNBA? So this is not even just about the Atlanta dream. Everybody's always fighting over ownership when it comes to the NFL, the NBA, all these other leagues, shouts to the FCF league. So everybody's always fighting over those type of ownerships. Imagine what would happen if all these celebrities started to buy in on WNBA teams. LeBron James, Carmelo Anthony, Kevin Harder, ownership, and Renee Montgomery, our ownership of the Atlanta Dream. And we're going against a Phoenix Mercury team who they got. Who's over there? Chris Paul. Uh, who else is over there? Devin Booker. Imagine if that type of dynamic. So you're not just fans of the team, but these are owners going head to head, too. And it's not, you know, it's not about the owners, but. I'm talking about imagine the money that would come with that. Yeah. Imagine the sponsorship, things yes. that we need. Imagine the viewership. Our viewership is up, but imagine what would happen if people of that caliber invested in women's sports. So just so people understand where I'm coming from, that's where I'm coming from. Yeah, because you imagine how many people would bring to an Atlanta game, Atlanta Dreams game, if they knew that coming in the door, they might see LeBron James. They might be able to see Kevin Hart. 
you would pack the stands because these are like untouchable people that they probably can't see in their everyday. But if they can go to an Atlanta game and the Atlanta games, you know, they'll start, that means the money will start coming in. People will pay to go in there just to be in there because it's going to bring celebrities. It's going to bring the money. Exactly. Snook, you got any thoughts on that? Oh, Snookabooker, what'd you tweet? <laughs> oh, no, that wasn't me. But at any rate, um, what? what I would... What I, <laughs> No, no, she's talking I, about you. No, she's talking about you tweeted back to LeBron. Didn't you tweet back to oh, LeBron? Oh, <laughs> I told him, you know, when I heard him, you know, the pick up the queen there, but since he called me the queen, so I, I just think that anything they do, bringing the big athletes is great, male athletes, but they have to add a woman because, you know, 2021 is the year of the woman, and women yeah. seem to bring special something to, uh, you know, when administration to the planning and all of that. So I just think to be safe, always include a woman. I'm going I'm I'm to just always say this. You got to tweet it out, Snook. You got to tweet out year of the woman. Year of the like woman. This is, yeah. this is the year of the woman. <laughs> is that a real song? This is the year of the lover. Come on, let's make a baby. Let's do something crazy. Let's, right, let's reach out and we, love one another. We can leave that to Serena Grace. Mom said I'm way past that. <laughs> Bruh. Okay, I'm dead. But no, Snook is right, though. Like, I think we're to the point now where we understand that everything needs a woman's touch. We even understood that in government now, having a woman as VP, the future is female is, is what we talked about with more than a vote. And I couldn't agree more. That's all you have, Paulino. That was a long scoreboard. I like it. I like how we're talking today. Okay. So five minutes before too. Yes, I like it. Okay. So next up we have happening IRL. And so I think it was even just last episode. I talked about, Kelsey Trainer, Snookabooka, what is she called for Twitter? What is she of Twitter? She is the Kevin Bacon of Twitter. Ooh, ooh. Okay, so next up we have the Kevin Bacon. Oh, Kevin Bacon. What is his name? Of Twitter. Kevin Bacon. Okay, the Kevin Bacon of Twitter. But honestly, a lot of people don't know this. Like, she types really smart, but she actually really is. Uh, she's actually an entertainment lawyer who dabbles in sports entertainment lawyer stuff. So she's, she knows what she's talking about. And the reason I brought her on is because there's a lot of stuff happening with sports and COVID, Hollywood and COVID. What is a force majeure? You probably have heard it a lot now because of COVID, but MLS, there's a lot going on. So I asked a professional to help us out. Check it out. Kelsey Trainer. I am an entertainment uh, media television film attorney who dabbles in sports and sports law on the side. I write about it. I podcast about it. I spew off some uh, stuff on the internet about it as well. Um, and so I work for a media company and I, you know, everything, the law, entertainment, sports, that's kind of my niche. And that's what I stick to. Force Majeure is often referred to as something uh, called like an act of God. So it's usually a war, a strike, a pandemic, something that is just not necessarily would be foreseen um, when you're going back and forth and negotiating a contract, but that can really mess up the ability of the contract to actually uh, be performed by both sides. So it usually frees each side from liability or obligation 
um, under that clause. And again, it's something that is not necessarily foreseen, again, war, strike, pandemic, uh, but that obviously has the effect and the impact of really messing up the ability for the contract to be performed. So you just had at the end of this, at the end of December, 2020, you had MLS basically say they want to enforce this force majeure clause. We have to like rewind. We have to go back to earlier this year, 11 months ago, the players and major league soccer negotiated a new collective bargaining agreement. It gave you everything that you would want in a new CBA, uh, you know, larger salary, bigger budget, everything like that. Um, everything was set with that, except for the players didn't ratify it. It's just a, a formality, but again, a CBA doesn't go into effect until it's ratified by the players. It wasn't something that they thought needed to be done right away. Again, COVID hits March, okay? So the Major League Soccer, they don't have a contract. It's not, it's not necessarily ratified. So they go back to the bargaining table uh, and in June, they come to an agreement and in this agreement, there is a force majeure clause. It was a big contentious kind of sticking point back and forth, but ultimately, um, you know, it was put in there. And then you go back to December this year where the commissioner, Don Garber, comes out and says they lost $1 billion almost in revenue and that therefore they want to invoke that force majeure clause. So it just brings us right back around to essentially where we were at this time last year, which is if they don't come to an agreement on the CBA by January 28th, it's terminated. Um, and there's no contract between Major League Soccer and the players, which means work stoppage. Um, and as a professional athlete, I know that you know that that's not fun. No season because there's nothing, there's no contract between the two sides to perform their obligations. There's nothing saying, here's what we as Major League Soccer, soccer will do, we'll pay, here's the benefits and everything they receive. Uh, and then there's nothing on the player's end as well. Um, and so again, that's where we were this time last year. Um, and so it's very hard and interesting for the players to kind of swallow this pill. This will be the third time they're negotiating a CBA um, within a year. And it's also really tough to swallow the timing that it, it's, it's been invoked, right? Um, Major League Soccer obviously has known that this pandemic has been happening since March. So then now why December? Have you not had any time to prepare? Have you not done anything to kind of adjust like other sports leagues have, have had to do? Um, and so it's really, it's a really contentious issue and, and the players are really irked. It's really hard because when you look at these professional sports leagues and players and athletes such as yourself going in and playing a sport, knowing the risks of COVID, you have people on your side. You have a players association and a long drawn out process to go negotiate for health benefits for, you know, uh, different things while you're playing to make sure that you feel safe. So even though it's not ideal, you still going in, you still go into playing knowing that you bargain for the risks that you're about to take. So, you know, if you were to contract the disease, again, horrible, it's not good, it's not great, but at the very least, legally speaking, you went into that having had somebody representing you, somebody arguing on your behalf and advocating on your behalf. College athletes do not have that. There is nobody advocating on behalf of the college athlete, um, at least that has the effect of, uh, you know, putting things in place so that, you know, when, if, and when they do get this heart condition as a direct result of, of COVID, um, there's anything to protect them. Uh, you see um, the player in Florida, right? I mean, it's in very interesting how silent people are about what happened to him, whether or not it's COVID related, um, because, you know, he doesn't have health insurance through the university. Um, and it, it's, it's really hard it's a hard thing to understand 
how these college athletes have are so unprotected health wise and actually don't think it's that hard to understand but it's it's hard to understand how nothing is put in place to to actually protect them from from these things really depends at the end of the day i'm just going to say that the almighty dollar uh seems to always win you had something out in la where they're going to postpone it but uh i think there's too much money at stake and i'm saying that as somebody who thinks that they should be stopping productions uh new york is continuing to produce shows svu blue bloods all these shows are you know still uh in production and you know they also do have decent covid uh you know kind of protocols and people are really adhering to them um but hollywood is a multi-billion trillion dollar business and it's also a lot of people's jobs it's, it's it's not an easy answer but at the end of the day i think the uh the almighty dollar wins oh. <laughs> as somebody who has worked on a hollywood set and fully understands how the power structure and how intimidating that is um for him to yell and scream uh, like that at somebody on the crew um is terrifying and I I don't think it's appropriate. I think everything that he said was correct and I think there are absolutely I mean to, to me if Tom Cruise comes up to me, gets real close, kind of whispers near my face, don't you ever do that again. You know, you're costing people money, families, everything like that. To me that's more intimidating and and effective, right? Uh and also not career ending and career damaging um than, you know, what he did, which at the end of the day um is traumatizing. It it's really traumatizing. Again, I I I don't know what the the people were doing uh that they weren't following protocols, but um you know, they should be following them. They should be fired if they're not following them. Um but the the actual yelling and screaming within the power structure that is a Hollywood set is just not appropriate at all. I'm Kelsey Trainer and I'm rocking with Remotely Renee. Kelsey Trainer, man, happy belated birthday. Uh man, like this I She's she, you guys didn't even follow her on Twitter. I'll just say this follow her um, on Twitter. I think it's K trainer something like that. Another. You'll find her. It's the okay. Okay, <laughs> okay, so follow Kelsey. It's K train underscore 11, I believe. K train underscore 11 shouts to my snooker booker she's in these twitter twitter streets dog okay like <laughs> snooker booker is out here but happy belated birthday kelsey trainer thank you for stopping by i'm gonna have her call in like anytime anything like lawyery happens where we're like oh what's gonna happen with this i think i'm gonna have to phone a friend kelsey be my friend moving on moving on and i hate to just hop and hop out hop in hop out but we're doing it today because we got some stuff to talk about later okay so i'm about to toss two now where so this guy i consider him like he's like my brother now um and we just kind of became closer when we realized how much alike we are you know we both went to yukon we both were heavy in this social justice game but he's been doing it for a long time a lot of people may or may not know his story, but he's been locked up and he's come from a lot. He's he's like came from a background where what they say, you shouldn't have made it out. He made it out. Karan Butler is now the assistant coach for the Miami Heat. And his nickname is Tough Juice. And if there's any other way to describe Miami, it would be Tough Juice. They got that. So check out my chat. I go one-on-one -on -one with my brother, Karan Butler. Okay, so I'm here with two-time NBA All-Star, NBA champion, author, entrepreneur, philanthropist, media personality. I mean, I literally could keep going on. 
But I'm excited clearly to welcome my brother, Karan Butler, to Remotely Renee. Karan, thank you for coming on the pod. Hey, appreciate you for having me on, Queen. I'm okay. proud of you, too. All your activism work, everything that you've been doing, I've been watching. Uh, it's just amazing what you've been able to accomplish. Thank you. And so I should say the same to you. I'm coming back at you on congratulations on your new role, the assistant coach of the Miami Heat. And what do you think? I mean, a lot of people, this is a big deal. So I want to make sure people understand this is <laughs> a big deal. What do you think that transition is going to look like from NBA TV host to NBA coach? Well, I, you know, one thing, you know, obviously you're not going to be in front of the camera no more. Uh, you know, I'm pretty much the wallpaper, the backdrop, and I'm totally fine with that. Something that I've been doing for years, my entire life, you know, uh, mentoring people, uh, ushering them down the pathway to be a better version of themselves. And I find great joy in that, you know, uh, removing myself out of the equation as much as possible and highlighting their strengths and polishing their weaknesses. And uh, that's something that I've just always been, you know, uh, willing to do, wanting to do. And the opportunity finally presented itself. And I mean, what, it was only two organizations that I would possibly do this job with. And the one, Miami Heat, they reached out and it just made perfect sense, uh, perfect time. What was the second one? I'm just curious. I mean, when you look at the coaching trees uh, in the association, the San Antonio Spurs, they usually get it right. When you talk about just the Spurs disciples and those who come from the pop tree, they, they, they live in that space. They're not just rental situations. They're not just going to be there for a year or two. You know, they have long, long careers and huge impacts. Right. Okay, so I love that. Um, you know, I don't know. It's not a coincidence. You said you enjoy it, but Miami Heat is known for their grit, their toughness, and your nickname just so happens to be Tough Juice. So what are you, like, most excited about as far as just getting there with guys that already – are known to have that type of dog in them? Well, you know, when people always talk about the culture, I'm a fabric of the culture. Uh, they drafted me back in 2002. Uh, Pat Riley, the godfather of the game, uh, Eric Spostra, he was like my, my trainer and video guy and just, you know, someone that was just trying to just pour into me and teach me the fundamentals of the game, teaching me how to play in the system. Uh, and I'm able to do those things now. Uh, I'm excited about all those things. Uh, when you talk about, you know, people that you don't have to like force the culture on them because they're already a part of it. They already come off a tremendous success of making it to the finals, even though, you know, some people like it's favorable because it was in the bubble and all these different things or whatever. But I know one thing, we're always going to be in position to compete. Uh, I know that guys are going to leave it all out on the floor night in and night out. And I love uh, just the personnel that we have on this team already. You know, some with tremendous bright spots and the only thing, the only weaknesses is their youth. So I'm, I'm inspired and really excited to be working with some of these young guys. So, you know, you working with these young guys, they should gobble up every single thing you have to say because you had a 14-year pro career. But before that, you were arrested 15 times before the age of 15. So can you just talk about, I mean, you're a walking testimony. Is what we call, I'm from the church. So you are a walking testimony. Can you just talk about how you come from a one-year juvenile detention sentence to 
where you are today, like how does that happen? I, I think it's, I'm glad you brought up, you know, the gospel. Uh, that's really what it is, is generations of prayer. Uh, my, my grandparents was, you know, strong, strong, uh, faith, faith driven people, my mom, my, uh, my aunts, my uncles, uh, and to be in this position now, it's just, it, it seems surreal sometimes when you reflect and think about it, but that's what it is. You know, I was covered by prayer. Um, uh, I assisted that prayer with hard work and, um, you know, it, that's what it's all about. I think that people sometimes get distorted or the information get distorted when you think that you don't have to work hard uh, along with the prayer. You know, it's like, I'm going to leave it in God's hands. Like, that isn't enough. You have to. Yeah, you got to you gotta, you gotta meet God halfway, you know, in order for those blessings to come real. And, you know, I try to do that. I love that. So since the pandemic started, I feel like we talk almost every other week, whether it's on a panel, an interview, we talk to the student athletes at UConn. So that kind of brings me to UConn. What was it like going from your background to a school like UConn? You know what? I was, it, it was, it was dope. First of all, the University of UConn just accepted me with open arms, right? Uh, Calhoun sold me on the family aspect. You know, once you become part of this family, you, you're a Husky for life, Husky Nation, bleed blue, the whole line. And we know that to be true. You know, that's why you're my sister. But at the same time, uh, I was always just trying to figure out, like, what my acceptance really would be because I came from a troubled background. I had some, some flaws, some chinks to the armor. And, you know, initially, I just I felt like that community – just accepted me for exactly who I was. You know, there wasn't judgmental or anything. That was the first time that I went to an environment, even in prep school, it was just like, all right, we got to watch him because this or that or whatever happened in the past. But UConn just accepted me for exactly who I was. And they just knew that I was just trying to be better. And they provided me all the resources that I needed uh, to be better. And, you know, once again, to Coach Calhoun's credit, Everyone that came through that front door was, you know, trying to buy you or sell you on something. Calhoun was not trying to buy or sell me. He just told me that I would join a family. It would be for life. And that was the, the greatest sales pitch ever. Because if you can be bought, you can be sold. Calhoun left our living room. My grandmother looked at me, looked at my mom and said, he's going to Connecticut. And that was <laughs> Grandma said it. Yeah, big mama said it. She was like, boy, you I would tell you exactly what she said. She said, your ass going to Connecticut. And that's what it was. And that was it. Exactly where you went. Yes. That simple as that. Your ass going to Connecticut. And that was it. I love it. So while at Connecticut, you got the honors of being Big East Player of the Year. Just, this is off topic, but I lived in stores for four years. As you know, what did you guys do in stores for fun? Like, what was the fun aspect in stores for you guys? You know what? Honestly, I tell people this all the time. It was a business trip for me. Uh, it really was. Uh, fun was really knocked out the equation. You know, I didn't do the whole, you know, going out thing. That wasn't ever my thing. Weekends. Yeah, I mean, we we had uh, we had the we had the little uh, fest where like you know, uh, uh, entertainer would come down, or we had husky blues, or you know, things like that. But I just I was just dialed in on 
you know, trying to make my visit there as short as possible because I knew I wanted to go to the NBA. And I was like, the time that I, I'm taking to like really enjoy, have fun, that could be time that I could be like storing and putting it to the bank, you know, so I can withdraw a little bit more when it's time to, you know, withdraw those deposits on the basketball court. And that's how I looked at it. Uh, I did have fun, though, just like with the camaraderie of building uh, relationships with my teammates, uh, Talib Brown, who's assistant coach now, Kevin Freeman, assistant coach now, uh, you know, so many other that got alumni, you know, uh, Khalid and Rip and Ray and, uh, you know, the list goes on. Hey. We just had a lot of guys that we built. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was the relationships, you know. And, 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 you know, like I said, our huge fraternity is not just men, it's women as well. Obviously, y'all, shit, what y'all done there, uh, man, you can't tell the history of UConn basketball without talking about what deposits that y'all put in, you know. So the relationships that, you know, I have on the women's side as well, uh, my sisters and brothers forever, man, it's just amazing. I love that. And so, okay, so just moving on from – you get drafted, so you, you were focused, locked in the whole time at UConn. You get drafted. I always like to ask, what was that period actually between school ends and then when you get drafted? Because people don't know, that's not just like a, for, for on the men's side. On the women's side, that's a one-day difference um, for me. But on the men's side, what is that like? Because you were a top pick. You know, you were a first-rounder, the 10th pick overall. So you were highly sought after. What is that period like? No, it was a whirlwind because – I think sometime in May, I think the first week of May or something like that, or the end of April, I decided that I was going to declare for the draft. And um, I do the press conference at stores. Uh, I cry like a baby because, you know, it was, I, I just didn't want to leave. I, I love Connecticut. I really did. Uh, and then all of a sudden it was just like a whirlwind. I'm in Los Angeles and I'm training every day, two times a day. Uh, I'm going to Chicago for workouts. You know, all the teams that had the top 12, 13 picks, I eventually worked out for. Um, and so how did that work? I'm curious because as we know, the draft is coming up. Well, the draft will have happened by the time you guys see this. But I'm just curious, like, what is that like? You don't have any money. The teams are flying you out. Is it first class? Are you now, like, you know, getting – like wind and dined as they call it. But I mean, you've already declared, so there's nothing illegal about that. So people, I'm just saying that so people can understand, but what is that like all of a sudden going from being a college student to you're on flights, you're in LA, you're going all over the place. Like what's that like? I'm gonna tell you, because when you go to UConn, everything (laughs) is first class. So I was already used and accustomed to flying first class or sometimes on our private charter. You guys flew private or no? Yeah, we flew private. So we had our own charter. But when I went to Los Angeles, uh, and that was just the home base for me as a rookie to just train and have a trainer, what I what I did love about the process is that, um, you know, everything was first class. I'm talking about first class trips to Chicago or whoever had the top 12 picks in Memphis, Cleveland, a couple other – Washington, a couple other teams out there. Uh I was flying in, staying at the hotels. It was it was a lot of thinking because, you know, you're getting interviewed and 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 people are questioning your past. People are seeing how you think as a human being. And were uh, you by you, yourself during? Yeah, the-, the whole time. You, I mean, you you solo. 
like now I think is because of COVID and social distancing, like I want people to truly understand this. It's different because <clears throat> everything is on Zoom. Uh, you know, I, I just watched a, a whole workout of, of a kid uh, and it was, it was crazy. I don't want to give his name out, but it was, it was crazy because it, I'm watching them and I'm just like, you know, I'm just on a Zoom, they set a phone up and you're watching a workout. Like you're there at that point. Yeah. And, you know, either top, you know, 15, 20 pick. And, you know, we got the 20th pick in this year's draft. So it should be interesting. But uh, just watching that whole process to where we was at, it was like in the middle of our workout at any given time, somebody would jump out there and just play one-on-one with us while we're dead tired after we done – See what, you know, you got, see what kind of tough juice you got in the tickets yeah. that they were testing. I'm telling you, like, let's see what this is really about. I'll never forget. I went to uh, Houston and Catino Mobley and uh, Steve Francis was there. Uh -huh. And Steve was like, yo, like telling uh, Coach Lucas, like, yo, this this our guy right here. This the one. Like, this the, this the one. And we got the working out. And I think it was even like Jared Jeffrey, some other guys. And I just, man, I had a, I had a damn good workout okay. for the life of me. I, I thought I was going number one. I was like, I think I'm going number one because it was the best workout I had. I was just like, I'm, I'm out here. Pick. They had the number one pick. They ended up taking Yao Ming. I mean, duh, okay. no brainer. <laughs> uh, can't teach that. But I was like, the workout I just had here, I'll be shocked <laughs> if I'm not taking number one. And that was my best workout of the whole circuit. Like, all my other workouts was like, you know, I was you know what? super That's athletic. Too. I mean, I'm an athlete. So, if your best workout was for the number one pick, like, okay, I see <laughs> you. I see you. No, you know, hey, sis, sometimes your jumper not falling or, you know, uh, for some reason, everything was clicking that day. Jump shot, handles tight, defense was on point. I mean, I was splitting the double. T I mean, you, everything I could do right. I was. Hey, I told my agent after the workout. I said, "Man, I don't want to work out for nobody else. I think they're gonna pick me." He was like, <laughs> "He was like, no, we still got to work out." I'm dead. I feel you though. It's just like, all right, my job's here is done. Just wait till that number one pick. I love that. So speaking of, since we're on this tip, because I always like to just, I'm trying to get behind the the scene. So what was your what was your most expensive first purchase? Like, what's the first thing you bought that was, like, really expensive because you actually had money now? And I'm not saying you did before, but I'm just saying you got it like that now. Yo, I would tell you, it was two things. You go, you know, you go just die screaming. So, on draft day, uh -huh. we're, we're in New York. I woke up, and um, I'm watching uh, v, uh, not V100, BET. You know, BET had all the shows back there. Big Tigger, yeah. The Basement, everything. Oh, yeah. So I'm, 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 part. Come on now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at BET. Everybody got a Jacob watch on. So I'm literally, I'm literally like a couple blocks away from where we're staying from Jacob's. We're in New York. So I'm like, I can't get drafted without, I can't walk across no stage without no Jacob on. So I, I, told, my, I told my lawyer, I was like, look. You can't do it. It's just, you just can't do it. I said, I can't, like, I can't walk across state. That, that's crazy if I don't have a, a, a diamond watch on. That's just, I, I can't see myself doing it. And <laughs> so he took me over there. Uh, we purchased a watch. I think I spent, you know, 30 grand or something like that for it. 
And that was that was my first like large purse purchase that that uh that I did. And then immediately like forty eight hours later after I got slotted in tenth pick, I knew that I was, you know, first generational riches. Hair up and grab my mom a house after that. And okay. Then, yeah, immediately. Like immediately. That's I was like, all right. Flex right there. And look, I love it. You love to see it. Like I love it. Oh yeah, it. I, that was done, done deal. Done deal. I was like, I gotta get my mom a house and I'll figure out the rest later. Oh, I love it. So you got a Jacob's watch, 30 <laughs> dropped a house. Like, okay. Karan, Karan, Karan. Thank you so much for joining me here on Remotely Renee. No problem, sis. I'm telling you what, like just hearing him talk and you guys got to hear the full interview because he's unbelievable. He's going to be great in the locker room. He's going to be great wherever he does. He went from NBA TV host to NBA assistant coach, and I wish him nothing but the best. Now we're going to move on. Snooka Booka, we are going to move on to Remote Roots, and that's where at Snook Montgomery gives us all of her knowledge on whatever she wants to talk about. I just so happen to know that it's a big topic right now. Vaccines are behind. I know that we're supposed to be doing, what, 10,000 a day in some places. And clearly we're not there, Stacey Abrams. We need your help. But there's a lot going on. And Snook, talk about vaccinations. Let, let Snook, the floor is yours. Do your thing, remote roses. Okay, so I thought I would talk about um, the people people having a animosity toward taking vaccines, especially the minority race. And a lot of people don't understand what their apprehension is about, you know, taking a vaccine. Me, I can't wait. I look at my newsfeed in West Virginia every day, two and three times a day, just to see if someone didn't show up and they need somebody to come. I, you know, I'm dressed eight o'clock in the morning so I can just go out the door and, and get my vaccine because Snook, I, book see is ready. A, I see it as a way of opening up the world back to me because otherwise I have to just kind of stay in my little same little place and, you know, and, and huddle down until I, it's safe. But at any rate, I wanted to bring you three stories about uh, reasons why people are, minorities are apprehensive. And the first one I'm going to start with is the oldest one, and that's with Dr. J. Let me see, J. Marion Sims. He was known as the father of gynecology. Well, oh. if any, what he was doing was uh, he was experimenting on enslaved Black women without their consent, and a lot of times he did not even use anesthesia. And so um, he was in Alabama, and he uh, went from Alabama to New York and opened up the first women's clinic in New York. And so anyway, he was the person who's responsible for a lot of the instruments that they use in gynecology today. He actually did the first gallbladder surgery and he also performed the first artificial insemination. But oh, at wow. any rate, he did this uh, without paying or getting the consent of the women that he was experimenting on. So in Alabama, they had a picture at the University of uh, Alabama at Birmingham. And in this picture, it depicted him with other white doctors standing over a black patient, black female patient who was very cladily clothed. And so anyway, they made them take the picture down. So it, let me see who it was. It was the Washington Post uh, revealed in 2006 that uh, the woman in the picture had been used over 30 times for experimentation. She had received wow. over 30 surgeries. 
from this uh, Dr. January and Sims. So in 2017, amid demands to remove him from, you know, the wall. 2017? <laughs> You know, when we had the, the, the push to remove the Confederate statues and all of that, well, yes. they wanted his removed because it was in New York and it had the big sign up there with him, the father of gynecology standing over a black woman. Oh, and so this uh, Black Youth Project 100, it was a group of activists who were 18 to 35 actually have been campaigning and, and got, got it removed. So that's the first reason. First of all, that's a hot mess. Four, like four years ago, and we were, I mean, we're just tiptoeing into 2021. So <laughs> I, it's really three years ago, a hot mess. Like Yeah, so, you know, so people know about the history. So they know about this happening to black women without their consent. And so the second one is the one that's probably the most famous, and that's the Black Tuskegee uh, Institute Syphilis uh, Project, where the U.S. Department of uh, Health Service uh, said they were going to work with the Tuskegee in in uh, Institute to, to develop a program to uh, help Black men with syphilis. They called it bad blood yeah. back then. And so at any rate- bad blood when you had syphilis the term was bad blood mm -hmm. and so they wanted to um, work with black men to kind of study syphilis in other words so they had 600 men they used 399 they gave syphilis to and 201 they just gave them a placebo or whatever and so at any rate they never told the men what they were really treating them for they never treated them for the illness itself. They just kept using them and using them and using them. So uh, the study was supposed to last six months. It lasted 40 years. Yeah, because they want to see how long. Yeah, because they wanted to see what the, they wanted to see the fallout of how, if they took it back to their families, if they had children, like oh how gosh. it would affect the entire family. Because they want, that's what they wanted to know. They want to say, okay, we can treat it, but what would happen if we never treated it? Like, how does that going, what would happen? How, how does it progress? Yes. Wow. Yes. Okay, so in yep. 1972, there's a public outcry about it. So they found the men that were never even given adequate treatment, even after they started using penicillin in 1947 to treat the disease. They never treated any of those men in that particular study. That's and so, a hot mess. So they thought that was unethically justified, ethically unjustified, in other words. And so there was a class action suit in 1973. And in 1974, they awarded $10 million to the men who were still living, who those who were still living, and to their widows, wives, and children. So wow, that's that how is, that. So that's that is, another reason. That's another that's reason, and that's the main reason. You will hear that on the news all the time. They always bring up that Tuskegee experiment that they did on black men, and never really, you know, uh, clued them to what they were really doing with them. And actually, I worked with a lady whose father was one of those men. Uh, at Western U State University. So I used to hear a lot about it, you know, just in, you know, chatter at, what it, at, at the office about it. So at any rate. Wow. So that is, is there one more story? There's one more. And that's who we had a lot. <laughs> Wait, there's <laughs> more. I knew, I like I knew it. Let's hear it. I knew she was going to be there. I was waiting for you to say it, Ma. Got to go with her. <laughs> Henrietta Black, she know about Henrietta? Oh, absolutely. Oh. Yes. I don't. She 
to change modern medicine. Her cancer cells were the most uh, immortalized human cell line in history. And she has one of the most uh, famous medical lines in medical research. And she was a young black woman, mother, uh, who in 1951, uh, died. She had five children. She had cervical cancer. And so at any rate, this doctor at John Hopkins, that's up in your territory, Nick. Yes, ma'am. Dr. Dr. George Guy, he uh, was uh, soliciting sales from people for research. And so somehow he got her sales and he was amazed because her sales continued to live and to grow. And so he used it in all kinds of experiments there. And uh, her cells were later described as one in one billion. Her cells continue to grow decade after decade. They're still being used today. Yeah, they're used. they're called HeLa cells. cells. Yep. And so at any rate, uh, uh, half of the Nobel Peace Prizes in the last 60 years have been uh, based on research that, was that used these HeLa cells. Yep. So millions and millions of dollars have been made and sent around the world, but her family's never received a dime for that. As a matter of fact, her daughter, whose name is Dorothy, didn't even realize until Oprah Winfrey contacted her that this was her mother was even this person whose HeLa cells wow. were being used. And so there's a book called The, the Immortal Life of Henrietta, Lacks by Rebecca Smoke. Is there and, a movie about this though? I yes, Oprah did a movie, a, a Harpo film about it. Yep. Yeah, so, I saw the movie of it. This is a crazy story. So, Snookabooka, shouts to you, giving you some roses <laughs> on your remote rude segment because edu like we're gonna educate y'all whether you like it or not. But that the reason that we did that was because when you see everything happening with COVID and you see even these athletes, and as you saw when I talked to Kelsey Trainer, Ohio State did a study that said 30% of student athletes are going to have a heart, like have already have a heart condition directly affected to COVID-19. It's kind of scary to, to think that like as an athlete, you might have like athletes don't have a union. You know, we have the WNBPA, there's the NFL PA, the NBA PA, MLB PA. The PA stands for Players Association, which basically means a union. Cole talked about this last week where the, the union is strong, okay? Like the union protects people and athletes don't really have that. And so a lot of these student athletes, you know, didn't know what was going on with COVID and now actually have a heart disease for life. And, um, and so long haulers, they're long haulers. I mean, you know, you get over a couple of weeks but these organs in your body are still affected from having having the disease, and a lot. And there's no, you know, it's so much emphasis now being putting on put on, you know, getting the vaccine so you could not be, you know, contagious and passing it on. But you know, they haven't even had a chance to study the effects of after you've had it and what can we do exactly. to make your life better, you know, after you've had this this disease. Exactly. So Snook, that's the perfect segue to why black people don't trust America. Okay. Yeah. Like black people have a distrust in the system, a distrust in the government, a distrust in the medical system. Those are some reasons why my Snook story are reasons why. And honestly, when we talk about any other business, there's a hundred thousand different stories of why people, black people, black and brown community has a distrust of our government, of our system, of a lot of things that just, as we know, weren't built for us. So for today's remote roses, I'm switching it up. And today I'm giving roses. Let me throw them too, because I ain't going to 
not gonna I'm not gonna sell this short. So for today's remote remote roses goes out to the peaceful protesters of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, all of the people that were marching and walking in spring and in the summer, peacefully, not not doing nothing but stating why they're upset. This also goes out to all the people that marched and not only marched, but went out to vote. And then if you were happened to be in Georgia, we had to go out and do it again, do it again. We had to go out and do it again, two times. So I'm giving roses to that whole group of people, everybody doing all of that. You deserve your roses. And now instead of them guessing who I'm giving roses to, we're gonna talk like let's, we're gonna have a conversation about what transpired last week because that was a hot mess. Like I want, I'll get the party started. What happened on January 6th? And I want people to understand that this is not an accident. What happened on January 6th was planned. There's plenty of threads where you can go to watch, see the forums. There's plenty of threads that talk about planning for January 6th. You don't get that many people coordinated in DC by accident. It's like the Million Man March. This was literally the opposite of that, basically. So January 6th has been planned. What, the first tweet that I saw was on December 21st, talking about January 6th. Of course, the security, national security of the defense gives his resignation. You're fired. You, you should have been fired. And of course, all these people in the 11th hour are resigning and trying to separate themselves from the treason and the Trumpism and all of that. Of course, they're doing that. Why? Because well, you've been complicit for four years now, but at the 11th hour, you only had two more weeks on the job. You was gone anyway. I'm just throwing that out there. You was already gone, but two weeks out of the job, you want to just put in your resignation. I can't take anymore. This is too much. This is too much. Like, I like, and another thing is, I'm here in Georgia. I can remember when those two college students were in their cars, were pulled outside of the cars. I know everybody saw that story. The two college students were pulled outside of the cars, traumatized. What? I saw people breaking in windows. Some dude was sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk like that was his couch. He was watching a game. They left a threatening note. We will not back down. I, I mean, and I saw, shouts to Monique Curry. I saw a tweet from Monique Curry that really was like eye-opening. She said she was born and raised in Washington, D.C. So when she was in elementary school, they would go and they would take field trips to all the amazing buildings downtown in their area. They would go to, to different places. One of the places that she went while in elementary school, not threatening at all, just throwing that out there. These elementary students, when they would go to Capitol Hill, she said they would never be able to get that close, not even close enough to storm the doors. I'm talking students, elementary students on a field trip couldn't even get that close. So for the people that think that, oh, wow, this could have just happened if they just stormed it and breached it. No, like there's this is there's inside works. There's other things. And we have to I know this is like a very strong word and people don't want to hear it. That was terrorism. That, that's what you call domestic terrorism. And I know that the first thing people think of is 9-11 and how dramatic that was. That's terrorism too. This is domestic terrorism. People from our own area. Homegrown. Homegrown terrorists. So I don't want any comparison to the roses of people that I just gave roses to that were 
peacefully protesting. People called me a mob leader for throwing a cookout. I did a pop-up block party, threw a cookout for the protesters, and they called me a mob leader, said this is mob mentality. Huh? Huh? Like, I'm trying to figure out where. So now all of a sudden I hear that this was the protest. This is not the same thing. Like, these are two separate things that happened. One was a peaceful protest. Shouts to Colin Kaepernick for taking a knee that people tried to say was very unpatriotic. That was a peaceful protest. What happened yesterday? Terrorism. 60 plus police officers were injured. 15 plus are still hospitalized. One is in critical condition. That's terrorism. That So I got the party started. Cole, what were your thoughts on what transpired over this past week? Okay, so... I could be here all day. <laughs> I am very vocal. I am very about equality on both sides. If if it's wrong, it's wrong, regardless of who's doing it. I'm one of them people. I call it out. Okay, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Okay, uh, I see. Okay, I'm not one of the people who's going to say you're right or wrong. But I, I'm with you. You cannot wait until you are ducking under a desk for your life and then turn up and say, you know what now? That was too much. You were under a desk. And in the sad part about this, this is not the first time that something has happened like this. So it was building up to that because at one point they did put him, they put him, but but the National Guard was there. So they made it like it was this big threat because people were actually at a gate outside of the White House. They had all these National Guard. And when this other peaceful movements were happening, they acted like they were so afraid that this was gonna turn into this horrible thing. So they had all this ramped up security. You put 60 officers out there with tens of thousands of people. And then you're like, oh, they were overwhelmed. And let them get beat up. Like I watched officers running. It was not a good sight. They're overwhelmed. Oh, you put 60 people out there? Who does 60 people at the White House? I didn't even think that they would, it just blew my mind, number one, because at that point, I'm thinking Secret Service need to come out of a corner around, where are they at? They should be popping about the floor. They should, you know, how in the world do you get overwhelmed at the White House? So I am also one of the people who say that was domestic terrorism. I was so excited when I heard the word thugs, when I heard the one (laughs) because no other entity, a group of people have, they, they always say with this group, oh no, they're not thugs. It's always like these lone wolves. They act like these people are lone wolves and oh, well, no, they just did that because they're misunderstood. They always want to play up to certain people as not being terrorists, but being just mentally not right or not stable people oh, yeah. when other things are being done with other groups of like, people. Like think school shooting. It's always an, a shooting. reason why somebody shot up a school. Wolf. And, you know, yeah. it's just the narrative that's pushed. And so yeah. the narrative that's pushed is that when people are dying in the streets and they're fighting just to say, I want to walk around and not have to be threatened, you're going to make that the same fight as we lost the election. So the whole White House needs to go. So I could be here all day. But again, <laughs> I think the roses went to the who the roses should have gone to. And um, this country acts like they've they've never seen violence, but this country was built on violence. It was built somebody. on violence. So you can't be you can't you can't be upset when you see violence when it's not the group that you want to be to to have the violence shown. Like 
it, it, it was just really eye-opening. It was actually kind of sad because I did, I did feel sorry for all these people who rah-rah, sis, boom, for four years and then ducked low and ducked real low on social media and all these platforms. Yep. Oh, yeah. I didn't. No, I don't listen. I, don't. I didn't even know that you're allowed to fist fight a cop. Like, call me crazy, but I saw a lot of fist fighting last week of the cop. I mean, just regular people, they was like squaring up on the cops and fist fighting. I'm like, oh wow. That so if you went in a fight at the cops, you don't go to jail. Like, I, I didn't know that, but I found that out last week. Snooka Booka, what are your thoughts? Well, my thing is thank you for giving uh peaceful demonstrations the roses because as you know, I'm kind of old. And so I can go back to uh, 1963 with Martin Luther King. It really was kind of, I would say, maybe one of the fathers in our times of peaceful uh, protesting. And uh, he was beaten in jail. The, he had the march on Washington, which was a quarter million, of pe uh, million people. And there was no violence like that. And, you know, we go on down through history. And it seems that... Uh, where uh, from what you're talking about that went on, you know, uh, those individuals didn't get arrested. They didn't get handcuffed or anything. And they were, they were walked down the steps. I saw a cop taking a selfie, like literally somebody took a selfie with the cop. That was probably his friend. So that's, that shouldn't be alarming. They probably already knew each other, which is scary in itself. And then I saw somebody helping a woman down the steps, oh, yeah. like holding her hand. Hold her hand. I'm like, and I think, she, I mean, and I'm not going to speculate. She looked like she was pregnant. So what she you was doing definitely pregnant. It's a never ending thing. It's, it's, uh, it has periods where it's heavy and, and when it's light. And what I think about is when you see those people and how they were treated, well, as minorities, you can step out of your front door <laughs> and, and do something wrong and, and get killed by the police. So exactly. you're not treated as this, in the, same, the same way. It's not the same playing field. And so my thing is, is that I don't think it's going to ever uh, be, you know, uh, Kamala Harris today, President, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris today said that, you know, the Lady Justice, you know, she has the blindfold and she has the scales, yeah. you know, because justice is supposed to be blind and equal. Well, to me, when she said that, I thought, man, she must have been peeping out from under that mask. <laughs> For most of my life. <laughs> Lady Justice ain't been equal, man. I love it. I can't uh, you know, that blindfold being where she can't speak to her because something's wrong. You know, something is wrong there. So that's my thing as a saga. And this is the thing I would like to see before I leave so my kids and grandkids maybe can have a better view of life than I've had to view from the time I was a child. So I'm hoping the saga ends and... and at some point in time, there's equality for all. That's all I got to say. I'm working on it, Snooka Booker. We are working on it. Paulina, what are your thoughts with this past crazy week? Yeah, I mean, obviously it was wild. I, I, I think I think you guys probably saw the image and it's like the guy was in the seat. I forgot who's, I forgot which person it was. But, but then if you see above, there's like a photographer there. Yeah, so like, like they had professional, like, they were prepared. Like, like they had weird. real, get. it said via Getty Images. Huh? Yeah, so that's also so it was like the media and on the suit like that's weird and like yeah where were all the cops and like the national guard and all that thing but I mean obviously so obviously like you said I mean you said it was set up so I mean yeah it's weird basically yeah so he's asking the questions that we all are asking like I can remember 
I live here in Atlanta, so I'm like at ground zero where a lot of stuff was going down. I can remember they sent in the National Guard, everyone, when they thought that people might be upset. They were, my best friend works at the aquarium and she said, hey, we're shutting down today because they think there might be, you know, some type of crowds gathering. Like in Atlanta, when they even thought maybe even something could happen, I mean, they was on us. Like there was like a lot of security, a lot going on. Baltimore too. Yeah, Baltimore, DC too. Like- Yep. So whenever, and, and the reason I say this is known, this was planned, like Trump planned it. He spoke at the rally that got everybody fired up. He was the pregame, like, you know, they was drinking and pregaming and he was getting them fired up. And then they went and did exactly what he said to do. But like, where are the, like, where was the police? And I, I tweeted out, um, man, shouts to mayor, man, I wish I could remember her name, but the DC mayor, y'all better like- not try her no more. Huh? Her last name's Murphy. That doesn't sound, I don't know, but shouts to the DC mayor because people tried to be, I think they was trying to be funny because some questions is like, what what are you, what are you really asking me? They asked the DC mayor, she said, I'm setting a six o'clock curfew. If you're out past six o'clock, like you will be reprimanded. We will clear the streets. We will do that, right? And she basically was talking her talk like, y'all better get off these streets by 6 p.m. I'm not playing. Do you know the reporter said, well, who's going to get them off the streets? I'm telling you, oh, I should have prefaced with saying that the mayor is a black woman. So she had her mask. She pulled her mask down and she said, the police? Like, what? Who's going to get the criminals and thugs off the streets? You know why? Because, like you said, it was a setup. Not to not to hurt the people, not to bother them. They had been told not to do deadly force, no use of deadly force. So basically they were saying, well, if they can't use deadly force, then what what are you going to do? I mean, honestly, if they tell them you can't use deadly force, because how somebody break out the window and see- That's how they started fist fighting. I think that's how fist fight broke out. Because if the cops are thinking, man, I got an order from the commander in chief not to use this weapon that- have right here well then knuckle up like what police officers can't fight i mean i'm just being real like maybe some of them can but i think they're trained with weapons they're trained with batons and even still we've seen a lot of police i don't know i I just saw a lot of uncomfortable scenes police officers running like that was that blew my mind when i saw them running i'm like what is going on america From the well, just saying from the very beginning, you know, if you've been into, uh, if you've been an organizer for a lot of uh, uh, peaceful protests or demonstrations or whatever, there's a whole lot of hoops you have to jump through to be able to do that. You have to give them an estimate of your crowd size. You have to know what police are going to uh, be available. What's it all about? Because you know, there's actually a a form that you have to fill out to to do that. So in other words, it's a permit to get a permit. Get a yeah, permit. So in other yeah. words, the individuals for this incident on January the 6th, did they not do any of this? Did or so it probably got cleared by the commander in chief. Yeah, they yeah. just showed up. He's like, Oh, don't worry about that form. Do you know that the, the, do you understand that the city the, the sitting president is the one that spoke at it? So I could assume that there was secret service, there was a plan. This was a planned event. The president spoke at the event. Like so. Yeah, yeah they was, planned nobody this. was there. Huh? Nobody was there. They worked they worked there, right? Unbelievable. Like, I don't know. 
we're listen that's what I said there's so many it's like questions that need answers there's so many questions that need answers we don't have the answers because we're not the ones that are oppressing people we know that there's a problem and that y'all need to give us some answers but again we've seen this we know how this story ends but I'm gonna tell you right now this 2021 I know a lot of people are like oh 2020 another oh this is the same as 2020 and 2021 I'm gonna tell you things are different like if you don't believe that's why and I usually don't even like to discuss politics and all of that on the show um but we had to because this is a historical moment that just happened like it may never happen again if you don't believe that things are going to change after what happened yesterday I think like a lot of people in our community, we're not surprised. Like we're really not like, you know, like we're disappointed, but we're not surprised in how the the police reacted to terrorists. But I think there's a lot of people in the white community and other communities that are actually genuinely surprised at what happened. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, I can't believe we let that happen. Embarrassed, embarrassed, embarrassed. So I think, and and not to mention, and I'm just talking about sheer perspective, like mindset of people, but you guys have to realize that's why I don't want it to get lost in the shuffle about this whole tantrum that was thrown. We won. Okay. We didn't, we didn't just win one thing. We won the presidential election shouts to president elect Joe Biden. We didn't just win the presidential election. There were two Senate runoffs, two of them in a state that, I mean, what would we call Georgia other than now? This is a battleground state. Now, baby, the South has something to say, but in another Senate race shouts to a black man. The first one that's going to head out from Georgia, Raphael Warnock. We gave him roses last Tuesday before it was even announced because he deserves it. But Hey, let's even think about a Jewish man coming out of Georgia as a Senator shouts to John Ossoff. We won. I just want people to understand we won. So yes, and this, let's just not forget Stacey Abrams in, in that equation. She did a phenomenal job of organizing those people in, in Georgia. And personally, I feel that she should get something like uh, the chair of the Democratic National Convention so she can put all 50 states in the <laughs> together for the vote. And then there won't be any questions about, you know, all of this. If they put Stacy up there, I'm sure she can get the whole United States. Every state yeah. in the U.S. have a ground. Listen, listen. has a plan. I just I'm telling you, it's amazing. Like some people are born to dream, and they're dreamers, and you, they give their ideas to other people who build them. This woman is a planner. She bought that she action. Builds things. She builds it from the ground up and that's hard because some people it's easy to come in at the top of something and say oh you already did all this I can run with it now this woman started from the ground and she was not seen she was not heard she was incognito she was getting shots up in an empty gym man she was like yes. plotting plot mm-hmm. plan mobilize organize all of that I'm so glad you brought that up snookabooka Georgia, we're blessed because Stacey Abrams is running for governor in 2022. And I'm gonna tell you right now, if I could vote right now, got yeah. it. Like I listen, if I can do I'll it right now. Georgia, so I can vote. Yeah, like I'm telling you, but the reason we're saying that is because for a long time, our black and brown community didn't really think the system mattered. You know, a lot of people were like, 
you know, I got stuff to worry about at home, sis. Like, I, you know, I can't get into that political stuff, man. You know, like every we I had real friends tell me that Paulino knows I had real people tell me that. So for us to step outside, maybe I'll call it our comfort zone to go to the polls, not once, but twice we won. And I know that I know that a lot of people thought that we were going to lose. And that's a hard reality when you really think you got something in the bag and you find out that you're a loser. I get it. I get it. We won. And so I'm going to end this show. Yes. My seventh episode of Remotely Renee with my two lit crew. Shouts to Paul. Shouts to Cole. Shouts to Snook. I'm going to end this show saying on this day, I want everybody to remember we won. (laughs) See you next week. Dr. Joy. In a world that sometimes feels uncertain, where communities can be disconnected, there are beacons of hope in your neighborhood. Introducing Neighbor to Neighbor, a California volunteers network. They believe that the people living all around you are your best bet at creating meaningful social bonds and preparing you for the next big weather event. Whether it's lending a helping hand to a neighbor in need or standing together in times of natural disaster, Neighbor to Neighbor empowers you to grow your community. Visit caneighbors.com to learn how you can help build a more connected community. Neighbor to neighbor. It takes a neighborhood.